Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our amazing guest is Brian Lovin, product designer at GitHub, and we're going to talk about design advisory at startups. This episode is brought to you by Springboard. Launch your design career with a bootcamp built on mentorship backed by Job Guarantee. Springboard's UX design and UI UX design bootcamps are 100% online, but that doesn't mean you're doing it alone. Every student gets a personal mentor and career coach, plus you'll work with a real client on a project for your portfolio. Visit springboard.com and get a $1,250 discount using promo code NYUIBREAKFAST1250. Hey, Brian. Hey. We're so thrilled to learn from you today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about it. You're like a massive internet persona, but just in case our <laughs> listeners don't know, pretend uh-huh. it's the first day meeting them. Or what do you want to tell about yourself? Uh, what's your mm. background? What do you do? Well, I would say, you know, if it's in a professional context, I'd say I'm a designer at GitHub. I work mostly on the mobile apps. So if you are a developer and want to triage notifications on the go and review pull requests from your phone, that's the kind of stuff that I love getting into the weeds on. So I've been at GitHub for almost three years. Before that, I started a startup called Spectrum.chat, which was trying to build basically modern form software for large asynchronous public communities. And before that, I was at Facebook, worked on payment systems. Before that, at Buffer, building tools for small businesses to manage their social media. And sort of all throughout that, I've worked on a variety of side projects. Uh, The most recent would be staff.design, which was a series of interviews exploring, I don't know, the career ladder for designers and some of the problems and, and ceilings that people tend to hit within that. And then I also co-host a podcast about design called Design Details at designdetails.fm. And that is kind of like a weekly news show. We talk about what's happening in the world of design as it relates to you know the current moment. So for example, this week we talked about the Pixel 6 event that was last week. So maybe that's it. Side projects, building stuff, and GitHub. Yeah. Amazing. The way we met this summer was during my gigantic fundraising process uh, that we did at Userlist. And um, what I learned is that as a designer, you do invest in other startups, but not in the shape of cash, which mm-hmm. was a bummer because I would love, <laughs> we're like we were looking for cash, but uh, uh, we well, yeah, design cash is nice. board. Uh-huh. but you do invest in multiple startups by investing your design advisory services. How Mm -hmm. does that work? We're going to talk about that today. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I would say upfront, I'm still learning about this. I've only been doing this for maybe a little over a year. So I'm figuring it out as I go, but you know, roughly the problem is there's so much interesting and exciting work happening in startup land. And to invest in startup land, you have to have a lot of cash on hand. Obviously, depending on where you live, there's accreditation requirements for how much money you have or how much money you make every year. And those can be really limiting. And I think those requirements keep 
talented people from investing in perhaps some of the more exciting investment opportunities, right? Like, would you rather have invested in, I don't know, Airbnb circa 2015 or uh, put your money into the stock market and had a solid 7% return annualized? Uh, Obviously, you would rather be in the exciting startups that are changing the world. And so anyway, so I started poking at how I could be more involved with startups. And in lieu of putting cash in, what a lot of startups want help with is actual tactical stuff, right? Like they need help making decisions, hiring people, uh, or in the case of design, like getting eyes from other designers on the things that they're building. Does this make sense? Does it look good? And in return for doing that kind of work, instead of asking for cash, like a, a freelancer might do, you can ask for equity. And so that's what I've been experimenting with and doing for the past year or so. Before I ask you a dozen questions I have in my mind, how many have you served and mm-hmm. how many do you have on the plate right now? So what kind of experience are we talking about? Yeah, uh, that's good to call out. So still relatively new. I would say in the last year, maybe worked closely with six or seven startups. But what's been interesting to find is there's an ebb and flow to that. Like some of the startups that I've worked with, I feel like I would air quotes, like graduate out of that startup hired designers or they found their footing or they built their first version of the product and they no longer need me anymore. So right now today I'm working closely with I think three startups on a weekly basis and then, you know, checking in with other people uh, less frequently. So you mentioned startups can benefit from advice. Mm-hmm. They can also benefit from hands-on work, mm-hmm. I don't know, helping them hire designers, curate stock photography. I don't know, some other so many levels on that spectrum of you know involvement from advice to implementation. Do you find yourself doing any hands-on stuff? Because having wisdom is nice, but yeah, pushing pixels also is valuable. Yeah, this one has been interesting because I think a lot of startups would like somebody to come in and design things, but I have to just be very upfront with people and say, one, it's really hard for me to do that since I have a full-time day job at GitHub. So just from a time and commitment perspective, it's not really realistic. But also, I don't know, I know startups quite often will contract out like the first version of their product. But I found that doing that can sometimes set up their first hire to be in a really unfortunate or uncomfortable situation where somebody else in the past, you know, an advisor designed the product, then the first designer hire full time comes in, and they have to deal with all that stuff. They have to deal with the mess. They have to deal with the assumptions that were made, the constraints that were imposed. And I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't sound great. So I've preferred helping startups with, yeah, the, the advice stuff, specifically helping people hire. So I will review portfolios. I will interview candidates. I will help startups design a interview process for talking to designers. For example, I work with a lot of developer tool startups where the founders are engineers by trade, engineers have been engineers their whole lives, and they've never hired a designer. So they're asking really simple things like, what should I ask? What should I look out for? What are the qualities we should be thinking about? How important is visual execution? How important is product thinking? Those kinds of things I feel comfortable giving advice about. And, you know, sometimes startups want me to come in and actually move pixels, but I think it's important to just say up front, this isn't something I do. If that's what you need, I'm sorry, like, good luck. We go our separate ways. So, you know, one of the key things that I've I've learned in the last year is setting expectations clearly up front. Here's what I can do for you. Here's what I can't do. 
And if that sounds good, then we figure out how to actually work together. Do you have any documents outlining that, you know, Sahil style when when he has mm. a, a Notion doc where he talks through everything about his process? Do you yeah. do that or is it yeah. all like behind the curtains? It's behind the curtains. I, I've written a blog post on my website called What I've Learned So Far About Design Advising and Angel Investing. And I don't know, I guess this is kind of like a, a document that a startup could read and decide if that sounds interesting for them or not. Uh, mostly this was for me to just write in public about things that I'm learning. And then I was able to share it with other designers and be like, hey, here's some things that you can do if you don't want to be investing cash in startups. So yeah, I, I'm certainly not as organized as, as Sahil. But this has been helpful, the, the blog post. At least it helped organize in my head you know, how I'm thinking about it and what I feel like is useful. How do you feel you've come across these startups? Did they approach you? Uh, did they approach you for money and you suggested uh, services? Did you proactively come across interesting companies and suggest hmm. your guidance? It's been a mix. Some of the startups that I've worked with have been friends' companies. And that's where, you know, if a friend is starting a startup, you just want to help them. You just want to be involved. So that's a very organic, natural way of starting to work with somebody. Others have been outbound. So for example, one thing that I did that was really useful was I got connected with an actual like VC fund. And I met with a couple of the partners at that fund and explained to them who I was. Here's my track record. Here's what I bring to the table from the design side. Do any of your portfolio companies need help? And those partners were able to make several warm introductions to founders. And actually, many of those I'm still working with. Uh, so I would say that was the highest leverage thing. And then sometimes inbound, occasionally inbound. I don't think I'm like at the sawhill level of publicity and and being so outspoken about the advising that I do, mostly just to try and you know keep my schedule somewhat sane. But I don't know, occasionally inbound. I would say working with a like partnering with a fund has been really useful. And I would recommend this to other people. If you have the track record and the network to support it. You know, every VC fund is trying to differentiate. They're all competing to give money to the same set of startups. And every advantage they have is is good for them. So if if one of their advantages is, hey, we're gonna connect you with designers who are advising our fund, that might be more enticing for a startup to be willing to take their money, right? It's interesting while fundraising, as someone who's really not a part of the ecosystem it's mm. hard to tell one fund from another the flavor <laughs> their style yeah. well apart yeah. from you know the styling of their website there is not much to be told about how they operate and how you identify like the values or if these are nice people or not <laughs> any advice there or is it just by meeting the founder that you can have an idea yeah i, I mean i haven't been in in your shoes exactly but i when we were running Spectrum, I guess encountered something similar. Like you talk to people, see who you like, see who who feels thoughtful and connects with the thing that you're trying to build. I think there are some VC funds that are much more clearly about delivering tangible value. One that comes to mind is Form Capital, which is uh, Bobby Goodlatte and Josh Williams, formcapital.com. 
And one of the things that, that they was, do is they offer I like, was about to like, what was that firm with a nice black website that offers yes. designs or I forgot. It's so good. <laughs> Tell us and, more. And, Tell us more. So, so the, the founders are designers, right? And so what they will do is they will actually help you design things and they have a track record. They have case studies where they have designed logos for startups they work with or done, you know, even more like websites and branding, the whole thing. And if, if a, a fund has that portfolio, that track record of, look, these are the things that we've done in the past to like really tangibly help a startup. That feels compelling to me because at this point, obviously, like the capital ecosystem is so nuts. Like everybody's just trying to give away money. So you want that money to come with some additional benefits. So I would look for, for you know, groups like this, like Forum Capital, where they have that proof of work for, with their portfolio companies. They are such an inspiring uh, example, but I've also come across some other uh, funds that offer like your marketing department for mm-hmm. equity. Mm-hmm. That is a uh, form capital speech. I think is your design department for equity and that there's so much capital, so much opportunity for other types of services that can complement the, the founder's skills, right? Yeah, which is exciting because I think that means that you know, what I'm doing certainly isn't limited to design. It would apply to any sort of practice discipline or group that is relevant to that startup, maybe sales, marketing, business development. I don't know, like any of these kinds of roles could probably play or be helpful at that early stage. And maybe the right startups are looking for advisors in that capacity and willing to, to you know, trade equity for, for the work. You do come off as a wise and mature person in a good sense. So you should probably I, by I, I now. You. <laughs> uh, I, I've been. Uh, I don't know. I might come off as a, as as a little girl or something, but uh, I've been in design for twenty years. I've grown so mm. pessimistic. Uh, I don't know and mm. uh, pragmatic and, and stuff. So I know this value of design uh, advice. It really depends on how. Ex- uh, how receptive that other party is in that design, how willing they are to invest resources and money and their development time into polishing the details and all other stuff. And there's, it's hard. How do you find uh, your design being received well? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a good question. First of all, we should dig into your pessimism generally having been in the industry for so long. <laughs> I think that's an interesting topic. But I would say, you know, from from my point of view, I feel like I, get self-selected, right? Like the people who I'm talking to are interested already. I'm not really trying to pitch why design is important to somebody who doesn't think design is important. Otherwise, the call would have never been set up in the first place. So that self-selection is helpful. I think, I don't know, I also work with startups typically in the dev tools space where it's really engineering heavy, like the technical bits are the secret sauce for that company and maybe not the design bits. But even in in something, uh, an industry that technical, I think we are getting to the point where design is still a differentiator. Like even if it is something as simple as the visual design, the polish on top of the product, if your, if your open source library looks better than this open source library, but they do the same thing, people gravitate towards the thing that looks better. And so, you know, I think more and more dev tool companies and founders realize that. So it's a pretty warm environment in my experience so far. And ideally, anyone who doesn't care about design won't reach out to me because <laughs> that would just be a, a horrible process to try and convince a founder like why design is useful and why they should hire designers early on. Being a 
on board with great design is one thing, but uh, being able to go a long way for implementation is another one. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm curious how how this is handled at GitHub because there is always that polishing process that's taking effort. And <laughs> there's a balance between staying sane and uh, productive and producing some really polished outcome. Where do you hit that? Well, I don't know. GitHub is is really hard to compare to any early stage startup just because we have a design infrastructure team that builds design systems and they work full time thinking through things like how do we oh, make amazing. these components perfect, right? They look great. They're implemented correctly. They use the colors perfectly. And you just don't have that luxury at a startup. So I don't know, you can get lucky that your first hires have an eye for visuals and have an eye for polish and have the, I guess, the the personality or or the ethic where they will fight for the polish to make it into the product and not be treated as an afterthought. Or luckily, we live in a world where there's tons of frameworks and component libraries and open source tools that can help you get to a good enough by default state for me, things that come to mind, you know, Bootstrap would be one that fits in here or Tailwind CSS or I think Chakra UI. And I mean, I'm sure there's a million other UI component libraries out there. But I think it's totally reasonable to lean on those kinds of frameworks in the early days, right? It's good enough out of the box and comes with enough of a, a systems mindset with either utility classes in, in the code where if you wanted to change things to customize them so they feel more aligned with your brand down the road. You can also do that in a sane way, right? Like just change the styling for a class and that will cascade throughout the system rather than having built up your own, I don't know, cobbled together ad hoc design system early on. So I typically recommend that, like pick one, roll with it for a while, enjoy all of the the thought that has gone into the existing frameworks. And then whenever you're ready to start building out a design systems team, that can happen later. I'm so glad that you touched on that because that was one of my questions. What are the options uh, for different levels of effort and uh, and money that a founder, a bootstrap founder, a funded team could um, decide on early mm-hmm. on? But so one of them is uh, going with the framework. Another one is putting something together from scratch <laughs> yourself. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Would you tell us why that is not recommended? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is a unpopular opinion. Design systems are are they're here to stay. Obviously, like we've seen them uh, really take over the conversation in in design overall in the last few years. I still think that people, in my experience, just having talked to people at the earlier stages, I think they reach for design systems prematurely. A design system is, in my opinion, about finding leverage with teams and and coordinating changes across a large product surface area. And you just don't have that in a startup. You don't have that in a small product. And in fact, in a if you're working on something where you're pre-product market fit, you almost don't want that system, right? Like, okay, sure, have component libraries for things like buttons and drop downs. That's not really a design system. What you want is the flexibility to move really fast and try lots of things without worrying about if the API is perfect and without worrying about, oh, but if I change this thing here, like what is it going to do over here? No, you want the flexibility to 
try things quickly, learn from them, uh, you know, iterate on your product and, and solve problems for customers. The design systems part is relevant when you have five designers who are building their own ad hoc buttons and making every page use different layouts and they're using different colors. As soon as you have that, then you're actually introducing complexity into the engineering process. You're introducing uh, inconsistencies into the user experience. That's when a design system can come along and wrangle all that together so that the team has a shared language and style and implementation process. So yeah, they're important, but later, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> What's your favorite resource on, you know, introductory resource to design systems for CTO minds, basically, because when we come across, you know, design for developers, it's like use different fonts on mm. like <laughs> and stuff and, and keep white space on the side, but not, not that part, but something a little bit more advanced so that they can integrate principles of design early stage. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to have a disappointing answer here, but I might have to <laughs> just say, I don't know. I don't work in a design systems capacity and I am in awe of really good systems designers, especially on the GitHub side, like absolutely incredible team with really smart people who think about this all the time. And I don't, I would say <laughs> if I had to give advice, I would pick a framework that thinks about a design system in the sense of like, we are creating tokens that the tokens can be easily changed. They're separate from, from the code base or separate from like the classes. So for example, Tailwind does this really, really well. Tailwind CSS, where you have a Tailwind configuration file where you define things like your colors, your type sizes, your spacing, and you can add different plugins. But if, if you just use the blank Tailwind config, you get everything that their team has thought of for free. So you get like good defaults out of the box and then you can override those defaults by modifying the tokens, not writing custom CSS. And I think that that model is probably the right direction. So yeah, so I would, I would point people down that path. Uh, otherwise, uh, <laughs> find yourself an advisor who is a design systems <laughs> designer at, at a company with uh, lots of designers and they'll have better feedback. Going back to that, you mentioned time management. What does your time management and time commitment look like with all these startups on your plate? It's been cool to see it evolve over time. I would say my February through June was really intense. Like meetings every day, uh, always evenings and weekends, right? Like I still have a day job. So my evenings were just packed and it was a lot. But what's been cool to see is that has fluctuated over time. Again, you know, as this idea of like startups sort of graduating beyond needing my, my help. And so now it's a lot more chill. And what I like to do is set up a, a recurring meeting with people. Usually it's once a week or once every other week. And then that recurring is also flexible. Like um, what I like to do right now is uh, be like a, a critique partner or, or a mentor, I guess, for like the first designer at a company. And if that designer doesn't have anything new to show or if they're still implementing the stuff that we critiqued from the last time, we just skip the meeting. So I'd say now I'm down to like a couple hours a week, but that's, you know, you could ramp that up or down if you wanted to work with more startups. And so I think that ebb and flow 
is good. And ideally, like everybody eventually drops to zero. Like eventually you have provided enough help or feedback or gotten the team off the ground to the point where you are no longer needed and it goes to zero, right? Like the transaction is complete. And so at that point, I guess someone would just have to decide if they want to find more startups to advise or if they want to move on to other things. And so I'm kind of in that period right now. Do I want to find more people to help or start working on my own side projects and and do something else with my time? So I guess one of the learnings is do not take in multiple companies at once because it's the onboarding and the the early months that are most intense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was really fun. Like if this is what people love thinking about on their nights and weekends anyways, you might as well be doing it in the context of like meeting other people and providing value and getting equity in return. And so that's where I was for several months, right? Like this was just fun. And I didn't mind that it was a lot of time because I was spending my nights and weekends thinking of this stuff anyways. But obviously your interests and and priorities change over time. And sometimes, you know, day job work is more intense and I need to take a break. And so a lot of it is expectation management with with founders. You know, not only here's what I can do, but also here's where my schedule might be a little bit tricky. You know, these these parts of the year are particularly hard. I tend to take vacations around here. And and as long as everybody's on the same page about that, uh, I found it to be a pretty relaxed working relationship. What does the legal side of things look like? I I... I don't think I've figured out the ideal thing here. What I do is I basically defer to the founders at every step of the way and say, whatever is easiest for you, I'm fine with, which means that I have signed a variety of documents in all different formats on all different platforms, clerky, DocuSign, like whatever, all the document signer apps and all of the documents have been different. I think loosely... The, the common thread is we agree on some sort of meeting cadence, which adds up to like basically a certain number of hours worked per quarter or per half. And we take that, we multiply it by what I would make up as my freelance design rate. Like if I was charging cash, let's say I charge 300 bucks an hour and we commit to, well, if we're going to work together for an hour every other week, I think that ends up being like six hours a quarter. So 1800 bucks in a quarter. Uh, divide that by your current price per share, and that's the number of shares that that we'll agree upon as my advisor equity. Does that equation makes sense. Absolutely. Is there an investing or like agreed period that you calculate upon? Or sometimes, yeah. Again, this is where I just defer to like whatever their setup is. And some people have more mature cap table management than others. So yeah, sometimes I found myself working with startups where. We agree to like a six-month working relationship and that they kick off a vesting month by month so that if we eject at month three or month four, they they can recoup the the equity, you know, that I didn't vest. And then others I've worked with, it's just like, all right, catch you at the end of three months and it'll happen all at once. And that's, I guess, a little bit riskier for me. But is if it's easier for them, I I generally just bias on the side of like, look, you have way more problems to be worrying about than one of your advisors getting, you know, some small number of shares for a few hundred dollars worth. Just whatever's easier. I don't care. And I feel like that has worked out pretty well so far, as long as you can hopefully spot, you know, trustworthy people and 
people who respect design and, and, and are willing to, to follow up at the end of the, the contract period. So for you, it's strictly the advisory role and uh, just advisory meetings. Uh, do you have any people in your network who are actually designing stuff for equity in a more serious and engaged way? Yeah. I'm sorry um, for not calling you serious now. I mean, <laughs> in a more you know, <laughs> deep no, no, engagement. <laughs> yeah. Are there any real designers out there uh, doing advising? <laughs> there are, I think. I don't know. At that point, it gets really close to just being a, a freelancer or, or a contract designer. But there's a website I discovered recently, which is very exciting. I'm, I'm trying to learn more. It's called Huddle. And it's at huddle.works. And I think what they're trying to do is help startups get that like group of, of early designers who are willing to contract or freelance, but give equity in return. And they're trying to actually organize and structure that whole process. So what I'm doing ad hoc, I think Huddle is trying to formalize. So, uh, you know, I suppose there are people in this, this network or system that are actually doing design work and pushing pixels for equity. And I think that's just, you know, up to someone's time and, and bandwidth. It sounds like a lot to me to try and actually design at a startup while also having a full-time job. But if people can swing it, you know, more power to them. What mistakes do you feel you've made that you fixed with the later engagements? One of the things that I, I really messed up early on was I thought, you know, I know a lot of designers. I have a network of people who, who would be great to work at startups. So what I'll do is I'll tell startups, hey, work with me and I will help you hire a designer. And, you know, this year has been absolutely crazy with the job market. Either everyone's leaving to start their own thing or people are really hunkered down, staying at their, their comfy day job while COVID, while we you know, work through COVID. And uh, I realized very quickly, while I know lots of designers, I don't know how to convince lots of designers to leave their big tech company job and go join a startup. And I would say that was a mistake I made early on where I, I set expectations way too high and then wasn't able to actually deliver a candidate or a person that the, the startup was able to hire. So really quickly, I adjusted that um, as soon as I realized like I'm not actually going to be able to do this, but I can do the other stuff around hiring designers. That's where I landed on things like I will help you design an interviewing process. I will review candidates. I will review candidate portfolios. I will interview candidates for you. All of that other stuff. The only thing that I cannot guarantee is that I'm going to help you get candidates in the door. So I still work with startups who have their own recruiting systems. They still do their own advertising on job boards and all that kind of stuff. And then as soon as they have their own pipeline, I can jump in and actually be useful. What are the most typical problems you see with how design is handled in startups when you join? What Are there any like common mm. flags? <laughs> It's a really good question. I, I suppose I feel like I need a wider range of experiences to really have a, a good sense here. One thing that I, I do notice, of course, is like at a startup, you just have to wear lots of hats. And I think what can be really hard is for designers to come in expecting that they're going to be just doing design. And that's just not the case. If you are a first designer at a pre-product market fit startup, you better be willing to do a lot of other stuff, right? Like you will be doing user research. You should probably be learning how to program a little bit, at least the HTML and CSS side. You should be thinking about product and marketing and branding. Like you just have to do all this other stuff because 
the business doesn't care about the design craft if the business doesn't exist, right? So your first job is to help the business exist. And I think that's like a mental barrier for for someone to get over if they've never operated in that environment before. Like if you're coming from a Facebook or a Google or a Twitter where like the business exists and makes money and design comes in and like is one function among many at the startup where you can like really just focus on the craft of design or or uh, the craft of you know scoping a, a product uh, or a feature and getting it through and coordinating with engineers and like there's really rigorous processes there going into something that's unstructured where it's not proven where the business hasn't figured out yet how to survive it's just a mindset shift so i don't know if there's like really good advice to get over that except just know that that's the environment that you're probably going into where it might not be a great idea to join a startup and have your first project be proposing like, here's how we're going to, you know, I want to spend my first month redoing the icon system or something like that. In my opinion, I don't know, maybe some startups would, would be okay with that. In my opinion, that's not really excusable. Like at that stage, just go get an open source icon pack and use it. Nobody cares, right? So I don't know, I guess I have somewhat strong opinions there like, there's just some parts of design that are more important than other parts at the early stage. And you got to have a sense of which are the important parts because otherwise you're going to spend many weeks and waste a lot of the company's time optimizing things that don't need to be optimized. I'd love, as we're wrapping up, we, we don't have all the time in the world, but I have this question about uh, SaaS branding because you can you can spend as much or as little money there. You can spend two hours and $200 on the logo, or you can hire an agency for 200 K. Where's the balance? Um, <laughs> does it matter what logo the startup has? Not just the uh, logo probably, but also yeah. a little bit like of the visual brand and style and, you know, what really makes them different. This is where, <laughs> I don't know, you quickly run into like, what even is the use of design? Because I think there's just too many examples on both sides of the spectrum here where you can hear of really, really successful startups that look terrible. And then you can have really, really beautiful startups that fail after a year. So I don't think there's an answer. There's one example that comes to mind. I don't know. I don't necessarily want to call them out in case there is a designer here who, I don't know. But if you go to lessannoyingcrm.com, it's a CRM built for small businesses. And I would say this is not the most beautiful or polished product in the world. But as far as I know, this is a really successful company. I think this is a, an indie software company and they make somewhere on the scale of hundreds of thousands or, or millions of dollars a year. And it just works. Like maybe it, the design of this aligns perfectly with their audience expectations. But you could go all the way from this over to like a linear.app or a height.app or some of these more modern dev tool SaaS companies where the brand and the design is incredibly polished, gorgeous, uh, fluid, you know, looks like Apple kind of vibe. And I suppose there's a lot of factors here, like what market are you operating in? Who are you competing against? And so anyways, to answer your question, I don't think there's a correct answer except to say maybe the brand isn't as important as designers would like to think. 
at the very beginning. <laughs> There's just too many examples of companies that were successful early on and they looked terrible and they figured it out later, right? Once you start making millions of dollars a year and you can hire a design team, you can fix all of that stuff. You can't really go the other way. Absolutely. Having been on the useless journey for four years, I can tell that there is always a battle for resources. And um, one thing, of course, design is a communicator of quality. So if if it's poor, that means for, for many people, means that the product does badly, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So you can lose many leads there. But there are so many rough edges always in all aspects of the business that the matter of success is finding that irresistible product market fit when the customers will have you regardless and no matter what design roughness or poor docs or anything. And when you face that, when they want your product, that's where you can mine your gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, yeah, the earlier point was talking about like branding and visual design, right? But like exactly. design is still so much more useful for all the other stuff. Like, are you building the right thing? Are you solving problems for real customers? Are you finding the right abstractions in the problems that yeah. they have? Uh, does the thing work? Is it accessible? Like those are things where design can add a lot of value where it doesn't matter if it looks bad, if the form works and people can hit submit and, and send <laughs> money, you know, if p- people can put money in your bank account, that's great. Absolutely. Let's, let's, let's stop it there. It's amazing. Okay. Where can people find uh, your work online and hear more of your wisdom? Uh, so on design details show, that's one. Mm-hmm. Where else? <laughs> I would say everything. My hub is uh, my website, brianlevin.com. You can find links to all of my stuff from there. Amazing. Are you on social? Yeah. Twitter.com slash Brian underscore Levin. But again, brianlevin.com is easier and has all the, all, all the downstream stuff is there. Well, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. Yeah, thanks, Shane. We gave some insights to our listeners. I hope and so. Good luck. Good luck on the journey. Hope we can hear more about that in a couple of years. Thank you. And same to you with uh, user list and, and your launches. You know, I guess we're speaking on the day you've launched marketing email support, but I suppose this episode will come out uh, quite a bit after. So hopefully some new exciting stuff uh, has been built and shipped in the meantime. Good luck. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful rest of your week, Brian. You too.